What is the church? What should it look like? And what has it been called to do? In this series on the foundation and future of Cornerstone, we answer these questions and seek to carve out a biblical path forward for being the church in Southampton Roads. The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. I know that uh, some of you have probably been feeling over the past uh, five or six weeks now that we have been moving really, really slow in laying out this series that we've been calling The Foundation and Future of Cornerstone. Um, I mean, here we are now on the sixth message. This is number six, and after five complete sermons, you still have no idea what it is that we keep talking about that we want to aim for for the future. But I would take one issue with you and your assessment of us. We are not being slow. We are trying to be thorough in our uh, presentation of ideas and thoughts and plans for the future because we really think there's a lot of value in these things. It has taken, uh, taken us a long time to get here. But even if I could go back and I could redo the, the series and, and choose a different path forward, I wouldn't really change a thing. We wanted you to understand the foundation of Cornerstone first. And so that's why week after week after week, we kept hammering the same ideas over and over and over again because our desire, our hope, our prayer is for you that it will be drilled so deeply into your heads that you will never forget it that it will change the way you understand what it means to be the church, that you won't use the same vocabulary anymore, that you won't let your mind and heart go in those same directions anymore because of all that we've looked at, and I certainly hope that has happened. But, but now having laid that foundation, we still didn't feel even last Sunday that we could just jump right into the vision without taking a week just to lay out those features that we looked at last Sunday about this area and how we are going to go about carrying out the mission here in Hampton Roads. And so I showed you those six features. You remember that from last Sunday? There were four that were external outside of this building. Number one, I'll just, I want to repeat them just very quickly by way of introduction. One was the local identity or lack thereof in the area. No one thinks of themselves as being a part of Hampton Roads. Hardly anyone even thinks of themselves as being a part of Virginia Beach or Chesapeake or Portsmouth or Norfolk or whatever. And so how, how do people think of themselves? They think of them as being a, themselves as being a part of Hilltop or Ghent or Hickory or Pungo or Greenbrier or South Norfolk or these kinds of ideas. It's sectional. Our identity around here is sectional. And so we think that's an important feature to remember. Number two was the military. Huge, huge feature of our area. It makes us very what? Transient. Everyone comes through, it seems like about every three or four years, you have a whole new church coming in your, uh, in your seats. Everyone's very young in this area. People don't put down roots because they know they're moving. And the people who do live here full time, they don't put roots into the other folks either. And so it gives this area a real plasticky, kind of surfacey feel that a lot of us really don't care for, but it's a, a feature we have to remember. Number three was just the general demographics of the area. Over 1 million people just in the four cities of, of Southampton, Rose, Chesapeake, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Portsmouth, over a million of the 1.7 in the larger Hampton Roads area. And those people are very young. They're very diverse ethnically and racially. They're not well paid. We saw that. This area is a, a fairly 
lower range area for, for incomes. And so all those pieces factor into how people live. Number four was the spiritual and religious dynamics in the area. I gave you that statistic where in the, the ODU study, Life in Hampton Road study, over 42% of people self-identified themselves as having either no or very, very minimal outward religious commitment. They don't go anywhere. They don't identify with any group. That's two out of every five people. So, so pick five houses right around you where you live or five apartments or whatever it may be. You're one of them. One other one will be committed. Uh, two others will be committed and two others will not be. That's amazing to think about the, the people around us and their lack of commitment statistically. That's all external. I give you two internal features to consider as well. One was the continued growth we, can, we see here at Cornerstone, and we have continued seeing year over year over year. God, for whatever reason, we don't know, keeps bringing people to us. And so as he does, we need to be good stewards of that. We, we don't want to take that for granted or just simply sit back and say, whoo, pat ourselves on the back, we're doing so great. That's not, that's not the right response. Those are things being entrusted to us, souls being entrusted to our care. What are we going to do with those people? And then last feature I gave you was what I called stacked bench and stands in honor of March Madness. Our team is so good here that we've got a stacked bench, and even the stands are stacked to an extent. We've, we've got so many faithful people who love Jesus and really see themselves as ministers of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as something else, that it would be a shame for us not to be good stewards of those things as well. And so when you take all of those six things and you think about our long-term plan for ministry, we, we can't exclude those things or forget those things. Those things have to be very much a part of our time together, and they will be very much a part of all we discuss today. The topic we have finally arrived at this morning is the actual ministry strategy or ministry model, or I don't really care what term you call it, the plan we have for the future to hopefully guide Cornerstone and help us as we try to fulfill our purpose here in this area. And as I begin this explanation this morning, I think it's very important for me to stress right off the bat that there is no such thing as a biblical ministry strategy. If there was, I would have asked you to turn there first, okay? And we would have already read it. But there's nowhere, no chapter, no verse I can give you where Jesus lays out a blueprint for us of how the church must function and structure itself and, and work in this mission that, that he has left us with. And so as you look at the New Testament, you see a number of different ministry models or ministry strategies that people use and employ all with God's blessing. And so when you think about the early church, think about the apostles and some of the early believers who stayed there in Jerusalem. They probably lived their whole life there and died there in Jerusalem trying to reach that city with the gospel. Others said, no, that's not for us. And they left and they go somewhere else. Someone like the apostle John who probably goes to Ephesus and spends years and years in Ephesus trying to reach that city with the gospel. Others say, no, I'm going to go, but I don't want to stay just in one place. I'm going to move from city to city to city to city like the Apostle Paul. So he's a few months here and a few weeks here and a few days there. And again, all with, with God's blessing. What do, you, what do you see from that or learn from that? You learn that ultimately there is no biblical ministry model. There, there's no one way to do it. So there's no right and wrong here. It's are they being faithful? Are they proclaiming Christ? Are they, are they focusing the people's hearts and minds on the gospel, on the ministry that is before them? So 
I, I want you to understand that because as we come to you today, I'm not showing you the model of ministry that we must follow here at Cornerstone. Do you understand that? This isn't the right way and everything else is wrong and we've got it all figured out and nobody else knows what they're doing. That's not it at all. What I'm hoping to show you this morning is, I pray, a very humble, very well thought out, I hope, <laughs> very prayed over, very well-reasoned ministry model that we as your elders, as your pastors, want to put before you to think about, consider, and pray with us to, to lead us into the future. Before I show you what that model is, you need to understand four existing ministry models. I wanted to make sure I put the battery back in here correct, and I did. Four existing ministry models of strategy that are common in our world today because you can't really understand the final one without getting these four in your head correctly first. And what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to walk through them very quickly to begin with, and then we'll come back to each one, and I'm going to critique it and talk about it a little bit. Are there pros? I'll address them if there are any. Are there cons? We'll talk about those if there are any. So, so this is kind of the plan to start with this morning. The first ministry model I want to show you is what I'm calling the status quo model. And I made this one up. No church says we're part of the status quo movement. Uh, there is no such movement or model of ministry. But I, I've given a couple of these my own little names to help them be memorable. So in this model, you know, here we are. I don't know if you can see it back here on the map. Here we are over here in our section of the city. And in this model, what we want to do is we want to build a wall around Cornerstone. Not a physical one, at least not probably right off the bat anyway. But uh, at least a practical and philosophical one that says we don't want the outside we like things the way they are right now. We don't want to change. We don't want people coming in. We're not trying to reach out. We just want to maintain the status quo. And as such, guess what this church will do? It will make, well, it probably will die. You were being prophetic. It will maintain the status quo, okay? It will, if you don't want to change, you'll, you'll find a way to avoid it at all costs. And so this is a particular model of ministry we could pursue. I will critique it in a moment. Number two, I call the bigger is better model. And so here we are again in this example. And contrary to the status quo model, at least in this particular model, growth is desired. We want to grow. In fact, we want to grow as much as we can because the bigger the better, but we want to do it all in one place. And so the goal is to keep bringing more and more people into this one place and keep getting as big as we can. We want to build bigger buildings and buy more land and start more programs so we can have more people because bigger is better. Again, I'll critique this one in a moment. Number three, you have the church planting model. And in this model, like the bigger is better model, growth is desired. It's just that they don't want to grow all in one place. And so here we are again in this particular example. And we're growing, or at least we want to grow. But since we don't want to grow all in one place, we want to start new churches and have, have all those people in the area go to whatever church is closest to them. And so we start uh, another church over in Kempsville. We call it Cobbleface Bible Church. <laughs> if you don't get the joke, that's an inside joke. Okay? We start a second one that we call Table Saw Bible Church. Again, if you don't get that, that's fine. And uh, these are independent autonomous churches independent meaning they're not connected to us they're not like under our thumb we don't control them autonomous meaning they get to govern themselves make their own decisions etc etc and each one of these uh churches are separate from the other and so you know i might be the main teacher over here and chris might be the main teacher over at cobble face and then ed 
Ed's the main teacher. He's the main teacher up at Table Saw. As you can see, that Table Saw church is a blast. Having way too much fun in Hilltop. And so growth is being pursued in this model. Reaching the area is being pursued. Trying to reach people where they live is the goal. But the way we're doing it is by planting new independent churches around the area. And before I move on, can I just point out what is probably obvious to most people? And that is that that is the model that was used for us when we were started. When Colonial Baptist Church back in 1999, 2000, 2001 decided to start us, they pursued this very model. They wanted to plant an independent autonomous church on this side of the city. And so they sent Pastor Tim Valentine and 50 people over here to do this very thing. And so our existence today is because of this. We are an independent, autonomous church because of this very model. I will critique it in a moment. Number four, we have the multi-site approach. And this is similar to the church planning model and yet very different. It's kind of newer, I would say, maybe the past 10, 15 years, something like that to, to really take hold. But in this particular model, instead of trying to draw everyone into one location like the bigger is better model, we want to go where people are, we want to reach them in their areas, but not by planting new churches. No, in this model, what we want to do is simply open up new sites of, ex of our existing church. And so Cornerstone opens a satellite location in Kimsville, and we open another one over in Hilltop. You probably can't see it, but it's all Cornerstone there. Notice all of them are the same thing. It's three locations for just just one church, but there's normally, normally also another feature of this particular model that you need to understand, and that is that typically, if I'm the main teacher here, then I'm also the main teacher here, and peekaboo, there I am again, I'm the main teacher there as well. Yes, thank you. Now this, this can be done in a couple of different ways. One, it could be that the main teacher physically moves around to all those locations. There was a church here in Hampton Roads a few years back that was pursuing this model, and they actually had a helicopter flying a guy physically from one location to the other. I, and then the reason I knew that was because it was in the paper that the city told them they had to stop because it was bothering residents who lived near those locations. Um, so you could physically move around to the different locations, but more typically what happens is that the, the main teacher is only present physically at one location and the other two are on television, okay? So there's a big, a big screen up and everyone at the other location simply watches what is going on. So that's what I mean when I say that this model is both very similar and very different than the church planning model. It's similar in that it wants to reach people where they are, but it's different in that it's all one church and normally normally is focused on just one man. So these are your four models, the main existing models of ministry strategy that you will find in the world today that you really need to understand as we have this conversation together this morning. And, and now that you get them, at least in theory, and believe me, I have simplified greatly to, to make them easy to remember and, and quick to communicate, now that you understand them, I want to go back through these four and critique them a little bit for you. Kind of talk about some of the pros, where there are pros, talk about the cons, where there are cons, because we need, to, we need to think about these and take these into account and really see how all of these, or any of them, if they do, help us fulfill our purpose and take into account all those features that we looked at last Sunday as we think about how to reach 
our area with the gospel. So let's just work back through them one at a time. Let's go back to status quo for a moment. I think I can safely say that every critique I have of this model is a con, okay? That there are probably no pros here whatsoever. Um, and that, I think, should be just clear from our purpose statement alone. When you say that our purpose is to work with all of the energy that God gives us to present everyone to him perfect in Jesus, just that alone tells you you're going to do something. I mean, you're going to be working. You're going to be you're going to be striving. You're going to be proclaiming Christ. You're going to be trying to make people perfect. The status quo then is not an option. And people might respond to that. Well, some things in the church should never change. I agree. That our, our commitment to, to truth, to Jesus Christ in the scriptures should never change, ever. Our commitment to our purpose, if it's truly biblical, should never, ever change. Our commitment to our core values should never change. That's why we call them foundations. The foundations never change. And those things, maintaining the status quo isn't just okay. It's required. You have to do it. You have to stay the same in those things. But the fact of the matter is, is that pretty much everything else can and should change as the Spirit directs in the life of our church. I've quoted my seminary professor's statement many times, but I'll do it again today. If we're not changing, then we are not growing. That's true of us individually, and it is definitely true of us as a body. If we are not changing, we are not growing, because unless all of us in this room and everyone around us has reached perfect Christ-likeness, we've got work to do. And guess what? We've got work to do. It's all a con here. Number two, let's talk about the bigger is better model for just a moment. This model has at least, at least one pro, and that is that it's not afraid to actively pursue growth. Now, I understand that there's a con that goes alongside of this one. And that con is this, that normally speaking, and I'm painting with very broad brushes today, I get, but normally speaking, the kind of growth that this model is pursuing is numeric growth. So they want bigger attendances, and they want bigger offerings, and they want bigger buildings, and they want bigger programs, and, and all those things. And so because of that desire, many people who interact with this model, they get a a really nasty taste in their mouth toward, toward the idea of growth. We don't want people who are pursuing church growth because when you pursue church growth, you pursue all this other stuff, and a lot of that stuff's not helpful. In fact, it's hurtful to the church. May I say to you that you're right, 100% in all your thoughts, but just because some people misunderstand and misuse and mistalk about the issue of growth doesn't mean that for the rest of us we have to like hide that, that, that ideal way and pretend it doesn't exist. The fact of the matter is, is that if we really understand and buy into our purpose, we have to be about pursuing growth. We have to. But the growth that we are pursuing is not exactly the same kind of growth as what that, the, this model often pursues. See, we're not here to pursue numbers growth. We're here to pursue gospel growth. Now, I know that in our world today, it has become very cool and trendy for people to put the word gospel in front of everything. So I can't just preach a sermon anymore. I have to preach a gospel sermon. And we can't just sing songs. We have to sing gospel songs. And I can't just eat breakfast. I have to eat gospel breakfast, okay? I, I know how this, this works. And generally speaking, because I'm such an uncool person anyway, I normally like buck against anything that smacks of trendiness and 
and coolness and that kind of stuff. But in this particular case, as we think about biblical growth, I would say to you that you cannot properly understand that concept apart from the gospel. That this isn't a case of trying to be cool. This is a case of trying to be biblical. Because when I say that we want gospel growth, what I mean is that I want every single one of us in this room to become more and more and more like Jesus. Well, how does that happen? It's through the gospel. As the gospel goes deeper and deeper into our hearts and begins to change us into the likeness of Christ, that's growth. What kind of growth is it? It's gospel growth. And as we think outside of these uh, walls and to the people around us, we want the gospel to grow more and more and more to them so that more and more people bow their knee in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. We want growth. What kind of growth? Gospel growth. And so both qualitatively and quantitatively, we should be all about seeing the gospel grow. We should be striving for gospel growth in every sense. And so at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, at least the bigger is better model is not afraid to say, yeah, we want to grow. We want to change. That's the, what makes them different than the status quo model. We just think they're focused on the wrong kind of growth. Our success is not measured in Sunday statistics. You get that, I hope. It's not measured about how many people are here and what happens and all that stuff. Our success is measured by how the gospel changes people into Christ's likeness. There's a couple other big cons I want to point out here before I move on. In an area like ours, we don't think that trying to bring everyone into one place is a great idea. I mean, as we've already identified, this is a, this is a region where people's local identity is not tied to the, to the larger. It's tied to the smaller. People think of themselves in terms of all these little sections of the city. So if you live in Greenbrier, you, you shop in Greenbrier, and your kids go to school in Greenbrier, and you, your neighbors are there, and your friends are there, you might even work there. Your life is, is all in that section. Is there value then in saying, please leave everything you know and do and go 45 minutes across town to come, to come do all that here with us? Well, there, it's not wrong, but is it best? Is that what we really want everyone to do for the long-term plan, just to keep all coming to one place? That's particularly true when you think about all your friends and neighbors. When you go and invite all those uncommitted people around you, hey, we want you to see what our church is like. They're like, you want me to go 45 minutes away from home? Really? There's, there's a church two minutes away. Can we go there instead? Because people don't understand the differences. They're not thinking that way. And it's a great question. Why can't they just do that? Why, why do we have to pull everyone from so far out? I think that the thinking in terms of the local identity shows us that this larger, this bigger is better model doesn't always make sense. Here's another, another con in an area like ours where people aren't committed and they struggle with putting down roots and, and really being part of a body, being committed to one another, it seems to us that the bigger the church is, the easier it is for that stuff to continue happening without anyone ever noticing it. And so people just walk in and they sit down and they're there for the service and then they never talk to anybody and they get up and leave. And nobody knows because the room is huge, <laughs> And so people fall through the cracks all the time. Look, I'm telling you that even in a small setting like ours, it's really, really hard to stop that from happening even now. I can't imagine it if you multiply this times 10 or 20 or whatever size churches you see around us. I mean, people must be falling through the cracks all over the place unless they're really, really organized much, much better than we are. 
I don't, I don't know how we would begin doing this. All I know is that we don't want people to simply show up on a Sunday at an event. We've already made that clear. We want real relationships with a real family, real accountability, real discipleship. We do not believe that the bigger is better model helps with those things. Now I pause before I move on. I'm done with this one. And let me just say that as I give you these critiques, please understand I am critiquing them in relation to here. If, if I were to go back to, to my hometown, maybe go live in the town my mom was in before she moved here in Pikeville, North Carolina, that little one, st- literally one stoplight town, bigger is better would probably work just fine there, you know, because even at its biggest, it probably would be about the size right here. It, it's a tiny little rural community. And so I, I'm giving my critiques and my thoughts based on our context. You got that? You understand this is not a, always true of every single single church. So that's my critique of bigger is better. Here's my critique of church planting, the church planting model. I'll give you four pros to this model. One, it's still concerned with pursuing growth. Okay. I won't repeat anything there. You already know what I think about that. Two, it often, not always, but often recognizes the value of the smaller setting. And I should also add, as you think of these models, don't think of them in nice, neat little columns where they never overlap, okay? You can mix and match. So you could have a a church that's bigger and better, but also likes to plant churches. So they want to be as big as they can here, but they also want to start more churches that can be as big as they can. You you get how that works. You can can put them together in your happy kids meal, whatever you want. So you've got all these different options, but at least here, generally speaking, these kinds of churches, ones that pursue this model, they recognize the value of the smaller setting. And so instead of having one church of 600, they would rather have three churches of 200. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's that's a pro in our mind. Three, it seeks to take the talent that God has given in both leaders and families and people and use them in a very practical way by planning churches. So you take people and you say, please go over here and do the same thing. Hey, you guys go over there and do the same thing. And we're going to keep multiplying in this way. That's, that's positive. And then four, it attempts to reach people where they actually live. And to us, that's the biggest, the biggest pro of this model. Because rather than trying to get everyone to come from all over Tarnation to this one spot and fill up a parking lot and fill up one big humongous auditorium that you have to keep expanding every six months or whatever, it says, no, 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 let's go to them. Let's go out to where they live in their parts of town and their areas and reach them where they are. And and we we think that's huge, particularly in an area like ours. But there are four cons to this model that also need to be considered. One, the transient nature of this area makes getting a foothold in the community really, really hard when you're on your own. We know that, don't we? <laughs> that, that is the testimony of Cornerstone. Twelve years, and those early years were hard because you're, you're trying to build into leaders and into families, and what keeps happening, they keep moving away, and you're, you're constantly fighting this uphill battle, as Bill Brinks said. It's building a church on a conveyor belt. It's really, really quite difficult, and I don't know why I ever wanted to plant a church. When I moved, we moved to Chicago, my thought was, we'll plant a church in the suburbs. That was stupid. That's really hard work. I'm way too lazy for that, okay? So church planning's hard, I, and when you, when you take this model, you're, you're, you're going to struggle getting a foothold in different communities when you're on your own. Two... The addition of extra churches to an area that's already saturated with churches can be, doesn't have to be, but it can be a detriment both to the new church and the larger 
larger body of Christ. Because after a while, all the new churches, I don't know how about you guys, I've gotten so many postcards and letters in my mailbox over the past five years of new churches that are beginning right around us, not even the whole area, just around us, that it just becomes white noise after a bit. It's like, oh, there's another church. Oh, there's another church. Oh, there's another church. We've had people come to us and ask us, why another church? Why, why, why were you guys even started? Aren't there like a thousand churches around us? Because they, they don't get it. They don't understand. They, and that's fine. I, I get why they're asking the question. But at some point, that can be very detrimental to the new church and to the larger body of Christ as you think about it. Number three, the sheer cost associated with starting new churches from scratch is nearly overwhelming, particularly when your church is filled with people who are generally underpaid, okay? So again, unless all of you E3s and E4s and E5s and E6s are making like six figures and you're not telling anybody, something tells me that our church isn't rolling in cash, which is fine. We've never lacked, ever. In fact, we've always had surplus. But it's kind of hard and overwhelming when you begin to think about pursuing a model where huge outlays of cash are going to be needed to really get something going. When, when Colonial started us, I want to say they invested over $100,000 in us over the first two or three years. It was probably more than that on top of all the people and the time and everything else. And they were a church of almost 1,000. Okay? We're a church of about 200. So $100,000 to us is a lot more, a lot a lot more. So how do you do that? How, we, how would we pursue that? And then number four, the, the final con, by breaking up into independent churches, there is by necessity a great deal of redundancy and inefficiency that is built into the system. Because as soon as you begin starting second church or third church or whatever, you've you got to have duplicates of everything. So you've got an elder team here and an elder team here and an elder team here. You've got a doctrinal statement here and a doctrinal statement here and a doctrinal statement here. And you say, well, wouldn't they all be the same? Well, not if you're planting independent, autonomous churches. If you really mean what you say by that, you're going to let them be free to express themselves how they, how they want, how the Lord directs in their particular setting. So they may not all look the same. On top of that, think about all the practical stuff. Three different bookkeepers, three different tax ID numbers, three different bank accounts and so on and so forth. There is, by necessity, a lot of redundancy. Stuff that they're all doing, but they all have to do separate because they're all separate, independent, autonomous churches. And so the church planning model, while good in many respects, does have a number of cons to be considered as well. And then finally, the multi-site model. I'll give you some pros here. Some are the same as what I've already shared. I won't repeat. One, still concerned with growth. That's good. Two, can be used to emphasize the value of the smaller setting. I said it can be. I've never seen that. Every, every multi-site ministry I've ever seen has, has been very large. And, and Jamie's aunt and uncle, they go to one up in Chicago. And the smallest site is still 1,000 people. The largest one is like 6,000 people. So the multi-site thing doesn't necessarily mean small, but it, it certainly could be used that way. Three, it reaches people where they live. That's good. Four... By staying together as one church, it can be much more efficient and focused. In contrast to the church planning model, here you can have one leadership team, one doctrinal statement, one bookkeeper, one bank account, all that stuff, and that's, that's good. And so despite their larger footprint, those centralized components make things a lot easier to manage. 
Five, it's because of that more cost efficient in certain respects than the church planning model. Six, it's not adding to the footprint of the churches in our area, even though there's more than one spot. It's still just one church. You got that? Okay, multiple locations, but still just one. So all these things are good in their own particular ways, but you guessed it, here are some cons. One, how does a church function and think and act and serve as one when it's spread out like that over the area? I mean, if some people are in Greenbrier and other people are in Hilltop, in what sense are they really one church? That's the question. That's the, the struggle you have to answer here. I mean, they may even never meet. And this can be true of the bigger is better model as well. If you've got a church of a thousand people and you guys always sit on the left and you guys always sit on the right and you never meet in the middle on Sundays, you'll walk out to your cars and you never even knew each other. So this can be true of other things as well. Two, we don't at all, at all like the way that the multi-site model tends to emphasize one man or one personality. Because what tends to happen, again, in our experience and what we've seen, is it tends to make a celebrity out of that guy. He's on television. Everyone on television is famous, don't you know? That's my kids know that. Uh, we were, uh, two years ago, we had uh, two, my kids were on TV twice at Christmas time. Once at Regent for their grand illumination ceremony, Wavy was there, got a picture of Hannah getting her face painted. The second time was at a, a parade down at the oceanfront. We were sitting there. We didn't even know the parade was going to happen. We just were going around the oceanfront. We're like, where are all these people here? Oh, there's a parade. We'll sit down. We sat down, and then the camera's like right in front of us filming. So my kids thought they were famous. Television twice in a week or like a, two weeks. This guy's on television every month, every Sunday. He's famous. People treat them as celebrities. And I don't think anyone wants to see me or any of the other guys on TV. So we don't really care for that idea. Three, building off of that from the, from the teacher's perspective, I would never like the idea of preaching to people I don't know. When I stand up here and I look into your eyes while I'm teaching, I'm not just like glancing around quickly so I don't have to really make eye contact. I'm not afraid to look people in the eye when I talk, okay? I know you. I know your names. I, I know your backgrounds. I've been in many of your homes. I know most of your kids. <laughs> if you guys would stop having so many of them so quickly, we could keep that a little better, but that's why I'm like, hey, buddy, yeah. <laughs> And then it's even worse when you hold each other's kids and you're walking around with a kid that's not your own and then I'm looking at you going, I don't think that's right, but I don't know why. <laughs> that makes it really hard. I wish you wouldn't do that to me. But at least when, I, when, I'm, when I'm preparing for a message, I think of your faces. I, I picture myself here and, and I can see you and I, I know how some of my words are going to come across to some of you. And it's the ability to know your people that is, I think, huge in, in preaching. And so I'm trying to envision how would that work if, if what I'm mainly preaching to is a camera. <laughs> I mean, there's people in front of you, but there's a camera there and there are people around that I don't even know who they are. That would be really hard, I think. Maybe I'm just being selfish with that particular con, but that's the one I thought of about this model. So again, pros, cons, all of that needs to be considered. Now you've had the chance to hear them. You've had a chance to see some of the pros and cons. And so finally, I want to introduce to you a fifth model. One that as we talk through all of these things, and I mean, we've been wrestling with this for months, that we really think will help us and lead us into the future. It's one that we think takes the best parts of, no, of a number of these. It's not without cons. We're not, we're not stupid, okay? It's not without cons. But we think given our area and the features and all the stuff, this is the best model for us. It's called the city parish model, at least 
That's what it's called by some people. Not everybody calls it this. Technically, it's not really a new model. It's different because what it's doing is it's a hybrid between, as I said, some of the better components of a few of the ones I've shown you. And so I want to try to walk you through this model with my little silly illustrations that I was giving you before for the earlier ones, and then I'll come back and talk it through a bit more detail, very bit today. But it starts very similarly to the multi-site model. Okay, so here we are over here, and instead of trying to draw everyone into this one uh, location over here on this side of town, and instead of trying to plant new churches around the area, this model simply envisions one church that gathers together in various places. And so we might be gathering over here in Red Mill, Cornerstone, our people would also be gathering over in Kimsville, and then they would also be gathering up in, in the hilltop area for this example. So three different locations just one church. But here's, here's where it's different. Because unlike the multi-site model, this model isn't focused on one man. And so I might be the main teacher at this particular gathering, but Chris might be the main teacher over at that gathering. And Ed, Ed's still having fun up at that gathering, okay? He's not even here today to enjoy that picture. I'm really sad about that. Anderson has strep throat. One church, yeah, aw, that was sweet. One church, one church, three locations, and three different main teachers. Now, are you feeling confused? Good. Very good. Well, you should. If you don't, you should. Let me, let me talk you through the reasons why we think this model is the best. I'll start with some of our foundational reasons first, okay? All this stuff we talked about in March. Like we saw last week in Acts 18, we genuinely believe that God has many people in the city that are his. They're all around us. We've seen people saved in the past year, two years, and there are more. I may not know who they are. You may not know who they are, but many of you are interacting with friends, neighbors, coworkers, people who you're sharing the gospel with. Guess what? The Spirit's going to work. We're going to see fruit because the gospel never comes back empty. Fruit will come. And so we recognize that, that there are many people in the city that belong to the Lord, and, and we want to, to approach it in that way. Two, we genuinely believe that the church is not about Sundays. It's not about trying to get everybody into this one little gathering place. In fact, it's the opposite of that. This time is important. We're not de-emphasizing that or putting this down. It's very important for us to gather together. God commands this. But it is not what defines the church. Right now, at this very second, we are the church gathered. But in just a few minutes, we are going to be the church scattered. How will we be the church when we're scattered out across all of these different areas? How can we be, be thinking and living in such a way that we will be trying to proclaim Christ and make more and more people like him? We think this model will help. I'll get into details of that probably more next week. Number three, if our purpose really is to work with all the energy that God gives us to present everyone to him perfect in Jesus, then we need a strategy that will work with that purpose. It'll put feet to it. We can't just simply say that we want to do this and then have no plan. I'm, I'm very much against uh, great ideas without action, okay? If we're going to say we're going to do something, then give us the points. Let's, let's lay it out. Let's, let's, let's strike a course. We might fail. We will fail. But let's try something instead of just talking. We want to work hard, but with God's help. We, we want to take risks, but always in dependence on the Spirit. 
We want to structure ourselves in such a way that we are actively pursuing gospel growth in real practical ways as we proclaim Christ to everyone here in Hampton Roads. We want ourselves to be changed into his image. We want others to be changed into it as well. And I'm sure you agree with those statements in general, but, but how? That's the question. How do we do it? What do we do? Well, we think this model will help us to that end. Those are some of our foundational reasons. Let me give you a few of the, the reasons we have based on those features we saw last week. One, we like this model because it reaches people where they live. We're not trying to get everyone here. We want to go to them. We want to go to them with the gospel. People already identify themselves in those areas. They're shopping there, and they're going to school there, and they live there. Let's go there. What's stopping us? Let's go reach them where they are. We're doing this now with our community groups, if you think about it. As we plant those groups around the area, those groups are designed for our believers to gather together, but also to be able to influence and reach those communities around them. This is the same thing, just one step up. No, no different, just reaching them where they are. Two, we like this model because it lends itself to the smaller setting. In fact, that's how we would pursue it. We do not want to be a big church in one spot. No, not at all. We don't want people falling through the cracks. We want real discipleship and real relationship to occur. And so this model seems good because it allows for that, that to be pursued as we work. Uh, I, I thought of um, this issue of the transient nature of the military, right? It's so bad. Everybody hates that because people are constantly moving. And how do you, how do you build a church in an area where the people are always moving around? You're thinking about it all wrong. I was too for a long time. The transient nature of this area is not a detriment. That's actually a huge benefit. You want to know why? Because what we have the unique opportunity to do is to take people for three and four years and pour Christ into them. Have them, fill them with, with a right understanding of God, a right understanding of the scriptures, a right understanding of what it means to be the church. And then the Navy will make the missionaries for us. <laughs> Send them right out. So I'm, I'm talking to, to Josh Stonehouse last week. Remember Josh and Allison Stonehouse, okay? Here for three, four years, just about normal. Uh, Josh and Allison, they grew so much in their time here, and they got the vision, and they understood what it meant. And then the Navy, whoop, moved them into Texas. So now here they are in Texas, and I'm on the phone with them last week, and he's like, I'm so thankful for Cornerstone. He goes, because here we are now, and this church we're in now, they're going through some of these things that we went through, and we're able to, to share with them and lead them and help them. They're being a blessing to that church. That church is thankful for Cornerstone, and we don't even know each other. What other churches and in, in what other areas get the opportunity to be a blessing to the larger body of Christ, like a church like this? Not just us, just this area. The transient nature of the military is a huge blessing. We need to take advantage of it, and those smaller settings allow us to do that as best as we can. Number three... We like this model because it allows the feel and look of each of those local gatherings to really reflect the communities they're in. Because this area is very diverse, is it not? But it's very diverse too. Like the church, a church here in Red Mill wouldn't look the same as a church in Ghent. And that wouldn't look the same as a church in South Norfolk. Are we trying to make cookie cutters so everybody has to do and think and look and act the same way? Should the churches not reflect the areas they actually live and minister in we think they should and and so this approach allows for that number four we like the model because it doesn't add to the religious footprint of the area we're still just one church even though we're in multiple locations 
Five, we like it because it allows us to take the growth we've been experiencing and begin putting it to good use throughout the area. We're thankful for what God is doing here, but this is stewardship. We need to, we need to act on it. We like it because our bench and our stands are already stacked with faithful ministers who could do these same things elsewhere. They don't all have to be done here in this building. And we like it because it doesn't focus itself on any one man. Quite the contrary. Cornerstone does not exist to spread the fame or reputation of any man except Jesus. We are not about promoting ourselves. In fact, in our opinion, the less we focus on the men who lead, the better, because we're nothing. And so these are just some of the reasons why we like this model, why we want to pursue it. Yes, it has its cons. I mean, how do you pursue being one church spread out over a large area? I don't know. (laughs) But we do it already in a smaller way with all of our community groups. How do you guys act as one now? We, We need to do the same kind of thinking on that level. By being one church, though, we can have one team of elders overseeing the whole to lead us and guide us into the future. We may, we may attend different gathering points around the city, but we're still one, and we think that, that God can help us work those things out in the future as we're humble and dependent on him. Okay, now, listen, I'm done. I have given you just a brief introduction to this subject, and there is a lot more to say here. And so over the next two weeks, I'm going to come back to this idea and address more of the details and the thoughts around it and practical things that would need to come out of it. But, but here's what I want to leave you with today. It's in Matthew 16. Okay, so turn to Matthew 16 finally. I told you it was the very end. We, your elders, your pastors, want you to know that we are foolish, weak men. Okay, you know that already, I, I hope. We we. We try to remind ourselves of that and want to remind you as well. We, we don't know anything about leading a church. <laughs> it's amazing. I really mean it that the church did not completely implode in 2007 when myself and Ed and Frank and Randy all came on. None of us knew anything. It's, it's God's sovereign hand. That's all that you can look back on. It's even more his sovereign hand now because I think we've known less. The further we go, the less we know about, about leading the church. But, but there are things we do know. We know that our plans are absolutely nothing. We believe that sincerely. We cannot, through any ministry model, ever do what it is our purpose says we have to do, and that's make people like Christ. That is not our job. But the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, need to always stay at the forefront of our hearts and minds. He writes that he will build his church. I hope those words are blazoned across your mind and your heart that Jesus has promised to build his church, not us. And so as Peter makes this great confession, which I believe Jesus is referring to when he says this rock, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, on this I will build my church, the gates of hell will not, be, will not prevail against it. He is letting us know that he is the one who has built Cornerstone over these past 12 years. Not us, none of us. This is his church, not ours. His plans matter, not ours. And so it is not our job to build Cornerstone. It is our job to work with all of the energy God gives us, to proclaim Christ to everyone so that we can present everyone to God perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, you need to go home. Our kids need to go home. You need to digest this for a week. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Over the next week, I want you to be praying, 
Pray that God will use Cornerstone to reach Hampton Roads. Pray that God will give us wisdom and boldness and faith to live for him. Because the reality is, and the thing we need to remember, folks, is that life is short. And we can live safely if we want to and just have fun doing church here. But, well, I'll say this before I go to the next point. Some people might think we're foolish because of the things we're thinking and trying and wanting to talk about. And we may very well be fools. But, but Jim Elliott made a statement once that I want to give to you. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so as you think about the stewardship that we have been given in this church, it's not ours to keep. We're no fool to, to give what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot lose. And that is people made perfect in Jesus through the gospel. We're no fools. We might make a lot of mistakes, and a few of us might really be foolish, and I'm probably the, the chief of those, but we're no fools to give what we can't keep, to gain what we cannot lose. And so as you think this week and pray this week, be asking God to help us be bold in reaching our world for him. Let's pray. Jesus, this has been a lot, and I have probably done a very poor job of trying to communicate our heart in this, but I pray that right now your spirit will take all of these thoughts, these strategies, these pros and cons, and remind us that we are not the builders of the church. You are. Help our trust to be in you, not in man, not in models. Not You are the builder. Help us to remember that and live that and depend on that at all times. And God, we know that you have people in the city. We... You're bringing them to us. Some of them, we're going to give an account. What do we do? We fall on our knees before you and we ask that you lead us and guide us, give us wisdom, give us courage, give us faith. Because we do not want to come to the end of our lives and look back at all of these blessings and all of these opportunities and say that we wasted them. We may fail and we may look foolish indeed. We believe that what Jim Elliott said is true, that we're no fools to give what we can't keep, to gain what we can't lose. And who cares about our names and the name of Cornerstone? We want the name of Jesus to go forth. We want people to be in heaven someday because the gospel was proclaimed in this place, because we were active in, in reaching our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. We, we don't want to stand before you with any regrets. We want to live our lives for you as the ministers of Jesus Christ that we really are, as the church that you meant us to be. And so God, give us wisdom this week. Help us to be praying and to be thinking. There are many questions, things we don't understand, things we don't know. We don't even know what we don't know. But help us, help us, Lord, to not ever waver in our commitment to pursuing you in all things. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.